Hello and welcome. My name is Paris Pierre Grant, and this is the Millennial to Millionaire podcast, where I come to you speaking about everything financial, from news to tips and tricks, and just anything in general to money concepts. Before I get into today's show, the first piece of news that I want to share with you is that I'm dying. I'm kidding, that's a little dramatic, but I am sick as I'm recording this episode. It literally hurts my throat to talk right now, but my commitment to delivering content to you on my schedule that I've set for myself is more important to me right now than anything. So I hope you guys are ready because I do actually have a really, really good episode for you guys today. I'm gonna be talking to you guys about sunk costs and other behavioral cognitive biases. And I'm also have a new segment in today's show and everything kind of goes in a big circle where everything is connected to another one. And I love when the episodes come out that way. So if you are ready, and I hope that you are, go ahead. The fundraiser is still going on, so please do listen to this ad that I'm about to play. But go ahead, listen to the ad, prep yourself, you know, get yourself a little hyped up, you know what I'm saying? Maybe listen to a little bit of background music, and we're going to get right back into today's show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hello and welcome back. Like I said before, this episode is going to be all about sunk costs and other behavioral biases and how we can overcome them, especially when it comes to your finances. But before I get into the, to that, I do have some news for you on today's show. And fortunately, most of it is good news. Only if you can answer one question for me, though. What do Jackson Hole, Manhattan and Aspen all have in common? These are the three counties that boast the highest personal incomes in the United States right now. We're talking multi-billions, right? And the reason for this is because, you know, we got, we have places like Aspen, Manhattan, of course, like the real estate values over there are insane, but just because of all the tourism and everything that's been happening, these counties have been on a serious rise, but they are not the only ones. 2018 saw the largest number of counties with a per capita increase since 1981. That means that we have not seen this much increasing since 2018. And also, total personal income has an increase in 97% of U.S. counties. So, obviously, Jackson Hole, Manhattan, and Aspen are at the very top. But this does not mean that no one else is, uh, you know, a part of the getting, getting their slice of the pie. Overall, we're all net positive. Well, not all. There's 3% that we're not. But overall, you know, we're doing pretty well here in America. Which actually brings me into my next news topic, which is Goldman Sachs predictions for 2020. So, you know, we're at the end of the year where everybody's starting to kind of think about like what we're going to go do. We got to finish strong, but also set a good foundation and a good springboard so we can really jump into the next year. So Goldman Sachs has been like, you know, doing a lot of forecasting for what we can expect in 2020. So, and in general, their perspective is pretty positive and with good reason. So they expect like the whole trade war, any sort of trade war tensions to kind of phase away. And we've already kind of been seeing the effects of that when it was happening. It was kind of like what's going to happen. But they're saying by 2020, everything should kind of be fine. Also, they're saying that the current policy that we've instated right now is really good and conducive to growth. Consumer spending is up. Consumer confidence is up. We have solid gains in disposable income and income growth. So that means that, you know, overall, like the job sector is doing well. People are wanting to go buy things. The economy right now is in a really good position. And they're saying that this is going to carry over even into 2020. The Fed has uh, has cut interest rates three times this year. So 
Goldman Sachs at least believes that they won't be doing it next year. And if they do, it might just be one. But recession risk overall is a lot is actually a lot lower for next year than it was for this year. And I think a lot of people were kind of thinking about like they didn't really know how this was going to happen, but they saw that we got past 2019 really well. So they're saying, you know, there's no real reason to believe that we have to be scared for 2020. The only thing that's really going to make a difference in 2021 as opposed to 2020 is the results of the 2020 election. And of course, you know, we still have candidates. We don't really know who's going to be running, who's going to be like, you know, in the top spots. But depending on who gets elected or who the candidates are, that's going to have a ma kind of a major impact moving into 2021. But as far as 2020 goes, I don't have 2020 vision, but it's looking pretty clear to me. So I did mention for and this. Is, this is also the third news topic. Sometimes I go, I'm just jumping in between all of them. So you don't know if you guys know, like can't keep up, visit the same story or another one. This is the third one. So I just mentioned that consumer spending is up, consumer confidence is up, and we have solid gains in disposable income. Cyber Monday broke records. For some weird reason, after I put out the last episode, I was scared that I was gonna like ruin Cyber Monday and make it so that people weren't buying anything. I don't know what kind of influence I thought that I had, but I was really thinking to myself, I was like, I hope I didn't just ruin the economy by getting people not to go buy. Obviously not, the exact opposite. Cyber Monday did $7.9 billion in sales last year, right? This year, we did 9.2 billion. So, and if you measure from when Cyber Monday was first incepted till now, it's compounded at 16.9 year over year. Together with Black Friday, it beat out Singles Day from Alibaba. And if you guys don't know what Singles Day, it's 11-11. It's a day when Alibaba puts a bunch of stuff on sale. But together with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, they beat out the sales. And 3 billion of those sales were actually from orders placed through people's phones, which is really highlighting the fact that you know, we're getting to a point where people are just really buying things on the fly. Three billion of it. That's one third of it was people buying from the phone. This is a kind of a problem for brick and mortar stores. Obviously, you know, if you're hiring staff, you know, you're going to have to have them trained on delivery. And you know, don't really have as much reason for brick and mortar stores. But this is not it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Remember, I said it's almost all good news. So. All of this online shopping, this consumer confidence, these solid gains in disposable income mean a lot more people are buying. And like you said, and like I said, like I always have to keep on saying, I have no problem with people buying. I like that people buy. I'm a saver, but I know that to exist in this world, we need to have spenders. And that's fine because they help to prop up the economy. What is not fine is the amount of cardboard that is clogging the U.S. recycling system. So something called the Amazon effect, especially, and this is really prevalent, especially at this time of the year, because, you know, we have... Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, and then we got Christmas, and then New Year's also. But there's so much stuff and there's so many people buying things online that this cardboard ends up clogging up the system. Something that I did not know was that China actually accepts a lot of recyclables from around the world. So like China is basically one big recycling plant. But something that they've actually started doing is they've upped the requirements to make because they've noticed a lot of contamination, which makes it a lot harder to recycle. So we're over here ordering everything off Amazon. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're being intentional savers. Maybe maybe you use smile.amazon and you're even donating a little portion of it so that, you know, you feel better about your purchases and everything's fine. But when you're getting all this stuff in, it's something I didn't even think about. It's a lot of cardboard boxes. And where's it all going to go? And a lot of people are not very well educated on how recyclables work. It's not just 
oh, this is plastic and throw it away. So I have included a link in the show notes all about the proper guidelines and rules for recycling. Obviously, it's going to vary from state to state, I believe, but it's just something to give you so that when you are buying, it's something that you can keep in mind so that we can be, you know, intentional, good consumers. That is all for today's show. One more quick break and I'll be getting right back into the featured content of today's episode. I hope you guys like, I mean, I know you guys like the news segment. I don't even have to say I hope you guys do because you got every time I don't put it out, somebody says, where's the news? So hope you hope that was somewhat insightful. And remember, all the links to everything are going to be in the show notes that I actually do take the time to write. And it's probably the most tedious part of the whole entire show. So make sure you're going through that. Make sure you listen to the ads and I'll be right back with the rest of the today's show. And welcome back again, hopefully for the last time. I don't think I'm playing any more ads, but I don't know right now yet. Either way, we're all biased. I hope that everyone who's listening to this is at least conscious enough to admit that we are all biased. Now we have different kind of biases. Some of these form from just you no know, different experiences. Nobody has the same life. So I can't tell you where they all come from. And I'm not a psychologist, so I don't really care to find out super, super, super much. But I do care about how it affects our finances, because I think that your money and your emotions should be separated but connected if that makes sense so i'm going to talk to you guys today about sunk costs what what is the sunk cost it's a cost that has incurred that cannot be recovered and the reason why i'm bringing up this episode the reason why i'm like you know putting this episode out is because i think we live in a society of people who are saying i want to get my money's worth out of it so let me give you this example and you tell me and you guys you know ruminate about how you feel about it you buy a concert ticket you pay $100 for this ticket, it's a cool concert, somebody you really want to go see, you're down in that moment, you buy the $100. Assuming that you listen to the Millennial to Millionaire podcast, obviously you saved, budgeted it, it's money that you can afford to spend and you're making an intentional purchase, that's neither here nor there. So you buy the concert ticket and you have this concert ticket, concert's not for another month. And then, you know, a month goes by, the day of the concert's there, you have your concert ticket and then you hear about another another concert going on it's actually closer and it's somebody you want to see even more and it only costs twenty dollars what are you going to go do are you going to say oh i already spent this hundred dollars so i'm gonna go get my money's worth and go to the other concert or do you decide hey wait a second right now this purchase for twenty dollars to go see the person that's closer and i want to see even more anyway is that the decision i want to make and a lot of times, we you know, we get caught up in this fallacy where we don't make the right decisions when it comes to our money because we're not really thinking about it from a purely logical or economical perspective, which is good because it helps us to kind of forecast and, you know, be realistic with things. But if it can be helped, try to help it. So this is an example of the sunk cost fallacy. And it's the fallacy that investments justify further expenditures. So, I mean, this doesn't just apply to finances. But it's like that's the best way to think about it is just because you've invested time or money into something doesn't automatically mean you need to keep on going. Another example would be that, you know, a housing developer is building up a property and it's going to be worth four million by the time it's built. So they've already put in two million into it and they're going to keep on putting in maybe another two million. And they're hoping that, you know, it's going to appreciate in value. Recession hits value goes all the way down. Somebody says, you know what, like, might as well keep on building anyway. We've already invested so much money, might as well just keep it going. And another person says, wait a second, we're not in the same position that we were in before. So here's like, you know, so let's make the best decision right now at the margin. My economics professor always says that an economist makes decisions at the margin. 
which means that, you know, it's good to plan, it's good to save, it's good to kind of try to forecast, but you have to accept that there's going to be decisions you have to make on the, in that moment. So that $100 concert ticket you bought shouldn't affect whether or not you want to go to this $20 concert that's closer and somebody you want to see even more. And obviously, I wouldn't just throw out what a sunk cost bias fallacy is if I didn't want to give advice on how to overcome it. And really and truly, the best way to overcome it is just to know about it. Now that you know what the sunk cost fallacy is, you'll be able to sit there and say, sunk cost, sunk cost. I do it all the time. And like I said, it doesn't just apply to finances. Um, something I see happen a lot in is relationships. A lot of times people have been in relationships for such a long time. They say, oh my God, I couldn't possibly leave them. I've been with them for five years. What would I do? Those five years of investment shouldn't impact your decision right now on whether you want to stay or leave. So you're literally always making decisions at the margin. Obviously, I mean, I don't think anybody can just live this way all the time, but being conscious and being aware of it are the key principles to making sure that it doesn't like, you know, start to overcome and like pour into your finances. And that's not the only bias that exists out there. It's just the most prevalent one. And I think the one that kind of dumbfounds people the most, sunk cost fallacy. Obviously, I've included some links inside the show notes for you guys to go look at if you want to find out more about it. And there's also a really good book that I'm going to mention a little bit later on in this episode. So let's talk about another one, optimism bias. So of we're only correct 80% of the time when we say when we're 99% sure. 80% of drivers think that they are above average. 70% of high school students think that they are above average, while 2% believe that they're below average. And 85 to 90% of people believe that their future will be more pleasant and have less pain than everyone else's. What, what do all this, like, what is all this pointing to? Optimism bias. An optimism bias is that when someone's subjective confidence is higher than their objective accuracy. And this happens a lot when, especially when it comes to finances, where we believe that we can, you know, we're better investors. We know more. We read this book. We understand it in a way that nobody else does. We are just a little bit smarter. I'm really good at math. We have all these different ways of thinking about ourselves to kind of, you know, like, and I think more or less it's the defense mechanism. I have no problem with confidence. You know, I've been called a narcissist. I don't believe that I am, but I have no problem with confidence and displaying that confidence. But this optimism bias kind of pervades and kind of undercuts and undermines you because you'd be so confident that you don't think you can make a mistake. So when that mistake happens, it's that much more devastating. And it's something that happens all the time. You know, obviously 80% of drivers can't be above average. That doesn't make any sense, but it's this kind of feeling of, oh, I'm better than the average. And the reason why this kind of like, you know, messes people up is because thinking that you're better than average will cause you to act that like you are. But then in reality, like we all make up an average, so we're all going to fall somewhere in there. But then if you continue acting like you are, you know, like you're better than you really actually objectively speaking are, you're not gonna be able to get all the same results, the same, you're not gonna be able to add the same value, you're not gonna be able to do the same things. And when it comes to, you know, especially investing, when you have this optimism bias when that like you can see something that nobody else does, you'll end up losing a lot of money. Or you could end up losing a lot of money because ultimately all the information when it comes to investing in the stock market is already out there. It's like nothing that it's nothing that you, nothing that you know that nobody else does. All the public information about the company is out there for everyone to go see. So this optimism bias will really get in your own way because it's going to stop you from really like taking chances to grow because you don't think that you need to. So the best way to overcome optimism bias is to be average and it's to love being average. 
And this might sound like a little, this might sound like a little weird and like I'm trying to downplay you or like tell you to dull yourself. And that's not the case. But when you can sit there and tell yourself, okay, I'm average, it makes everything you do special. So if you ever do, if you say that you're average and you do something that's above average, you're going to feel that much better about it. And also you're not going to get in your own head and have this inflated ego that's going to really stop you because when you just say, okay, you know what? I don't know more about the stock market than somebody else does. So I'm just going to jump into an index fund and just invest that way. You're admitting your own ignorance, which is fine, and that you have more to learn, which is good because we all do. You're just okay with admitting it. And honestly, pa uh, passively managed index portfolios will beat out actively managed portfolios just because, just out of fees alone. And then on top of that, you have another person who's actually watching that who thinks that they're better than other portfolio managers who's trying to be better, who ultimately can end up doing a lot worse over time because nobody has been consistently able to beat the market for, I think, any period over like 20 years. So best way to overcome the optimism bias is to be average. And then the third fallacy I want to talk to you guys about, it's called the planning fallacy. And there's this book, Thinking Fast and Slow, great book. It's by uh, Daniel Kahneman, and I can't pronounce the other guy's last name, so I'm not going to try. But in the in the book, he explains that, you know, he was with a group of people and they were together writing a textbook. They were all had these different forecasts. They said, oh, it's going to take two years. It's going to take one month. It's going to take eight years. It's going to take, you know, they all had different forecasts for how long they thought it was going to take. And they actually had one member in the group who had, you know, written like a similar kind of book before. It was like a textbook. So they, he was like, you know, you've done this before. How long did it take them? And he said it took them two years. And he, But he said when they were planning it out, he thought it was just going to take them six months. So even though he was in, even though he knew that people were overestimating because, you know, ultimately the planning policy is just a derivative from the optimism. Like the planning policy is just a derivative of the optimism bias. Him being a part of this group, he knows that we're all going to like, you know, overestimate our abilities. But he still did either way just because he's part of it, which just goes to show that even knowing about these and knowing like, you know, that these biases exist, it's not necessarily going to stop you or save you from them, but it should help you and be help you feel more empowered to kind of battle them when you do face and recognize them. The planning fallacy happens when we underestimate time, cost and risk, and we overestimate our capacity to shape the future. So, you know, this can be like I said, all of this doesn't just have to apply to finance. When we talk about sunk costs, obviously, just because you invested $100 into this company and the shares are going down, look, if you invest money into a company and it starts going down, it doesn't matter, oh, I invested $100. If it's time to sell, it's time to sell. Optimism bias, you know, admitting to yourself, like, I'm average, I'm just going to try to be average. And then that way, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do average. You probably end up doing actually above average, but it's more so about like your approach to it and knowing that like, you know, you have this bias to believe that you are better than you actually objectively might be. The planning fallacy, same way. It's easy for us to talk about our five-year plans, like, okay, I'm gonna go invest in this, it's gonna go up 20%, I'm gonna take some of the gains from that, jump into this index fund over here. After that gives me, after that appreciates a little bit, I'll go transfer this over to some ETFs, and then that market's gonna be doing really well. So that I'm you know, we can plan it all out and it can sound really good and it can sound like a really good plan. But in a perfect world, the phrase in a perfect world wouldn't exist, right? the best way to overcome the planning fallacy is to be present and to be realistic. So it kind of has to do with the optimism bias, but it's just to recognize that right now you're doing all that you really could be in this moment is like, that's the only moment that matters. And it's also to be realistic when you're thinking about the future. 
obviously you know we want things to be great in the future nobody wants their future to be bad but it's really good to like take that objective stance which is why you know i recommend like getting a mentor having an accountability partner having friends that you talk to about like you know any sort of any of your goals just so that you can have this realistic kind of perspective so it's not just you in your own head because even somebody who literally knows about this who writes books about this will still succumb to the same fallacies that he's writing about so yes that's all I got for a sunk cost fallacy, the optimism bias, and the planning fallacy. Of course, I, like I said, I'm not really doing book reviews anymore. But there was one really good, there was one really good book that I read that actually made me want to think about this episode. And I just wanted to share a passage from it, and I think it really applies to like the subject matter of this episode. And it says, and it's by Robert Gruden. The name of the book is Time and the Art of Living. Amazing book. It's one of the only books that I've read multiple times. I actually don't like to reread books. I do take a lot of notes, but I don't like to reread them. But this book's a really good one. And it has nothing to do with money, but it has to do with time. And I think that, you know, they're obviously very much correlated. But he says, Regretting, regretting wasted time is, is itself a waste of time. An unconscious strategy of invasion. Of evasion. And when I hear this, it just makes me think, whenever we think about, like, you know, all the bad we've done, all the mistakes we've made, there's nothing good that's going to come from that. Obviously, there's time for reflection, but sitting around regretting it is is literally just time you're wasting right there, which is time that you're going to regret wasting later. It's going to keep on compounding. And ultimately, it just comes back to this evasiveness. Be willing to face your finances. I hope that you guys feel empowered to open up your banking accounts to look at your balances. You guys feel good to look inside your wallets and know how much money you're working with. You guys feel good to look through past journals to see how much you've grown. Don't regress. With, don't ever make time to sit around regretting wasting time because that itself is a waste of time and then you know so and then also remember the three pillars of building wealth how much you how much you make how much you spend and how much you save and invest so i hope that you guys every time you guys listen to these episodes you're remembering those three pillars and thinking about how you can apply the information that i'm giving into any of those three pillars remember the three tips to overcome the biases to be aware to be average and to be present and realistic the fundraiser is still going on so i want to thank you all for listening to all the ads and please listen to them in the future tell your friends to listen i think we only got like less than 30 days so please 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 it's really important to, to me that you guys listen to these ads because that's the revenue that i'm going to be using to you know basically donate to the ronald mcdonald house make sure that you subscribe leave a rating review send me topics leave me hate mail any of that good stuff just i just want to connect with you i just want to know who's out there listening to this podcast because to me, it's just cool that it's not just me talking for no reason. And ultimately, remember that this is the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. My name is Paris Pierre Grant. And here, we don't keep it 100. We keep it 1 million. Thank you guys for listening.